Joe Mamas and Joe Daddies. Today on Windy City Joe's, we have a very special guest. He's performing at Joe's on Weed Street on March 6th. Yep. Perfect. Um, and it's a live show, which I'm very pumped about. Uh, but Ken Jar, Ken, wow, not Ken Jar, Ken Gar, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm actually shooting my comedy special uh, at Joe's on Weed on March 6th. So it's going to be a big to do, man. We're really excited. That's awesome. Uh, to get things started, Jack. Oh, I already forgot we were doing it. <laughs> we are also funny. Oh, uh, that, this... yeah, yeah. This this bad boy cost <laughs> us a pretty penny. We just we just wanted to show you that, like you know, you're you're probably used to being the funny guy in the room. We just wanted to show you that we're certified hilarious from the second city, which we know that you went to as well. I'm so I'm with my peers. I love it. I love my my fellow a second city alumni. What uh did you have like an improv group? Um no, I mean we just did the I did the conservatory. Um and then I I, I actually graduated from Second City to give you a t-shirt and a pizza party, and then I never did improv ever again. <laughs> so. <laughs> so so how how did you did you do stand up first or improv first no i did improv first so i did uh i did all of the second city you know uh, beginner classes and then i auditioned to get into the conservatory um i didn't get in the first time because i i, I don't know why but i was on crutches at the time i actually auditioned on crutches and then the second time i got in um and then uh, i went through the whole conservatory program but at the same time i started doing stand-up uh with the the folks from the tony and tina's wedding that was upstairs from those guys and uh, I ran into them one day and they said, hey, we're going to go to uh, this rugby bar across the street and do some stand up. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I'll try stand up. I was like, I was just in a really creative mode at the time. And I was like, hey, I'll, you know, I'll try stand up. A friend of mine uh, was doing stand up and I had went and saw her and I was just like, hey, maybe I can do this, too. And the first time I did it, I was hooked. I, I kind of like lost interest in improv right away um, and just started writing jokes and started doing stand up. So it's. Uh, Damn. So you were you were clearly funny from like the first time you were on stage. Yeah, I mean, I, I just liked that. And that was actually the problem that I had in improv was that I just wanted to be funny. And that's not necessarily always the role in improv. Right. Sometimes you're the supporting guy. Sometimes you're just, you know, the uncle that sits there quietly, you know. And so I just wanted to be funny and get to the punchline. And you know, stand up gave me the freedom to do that. But I tell every aspiring stand up comedian to take improv classes because I, I certainly still use all of the tools that I learned at Second City today, you know, even in my stand up, whether it's just crowd work or dealing with a heckler or just even kind of writing on stage and thinking on the fly. You know, you're going to use use everything you can take up, take stand up classes, take improv classes, you know, um, do whatever it takes to, you know, get the tool set that you guys need to be the best you can be. Well, and that's what I've always heard, like when I was uh, talking to a couple of the people that were teaching a stand up at the time um, mm -hmm. and also improv. Um, but they always said that 
it's much easier to go from improv to stand up than it is to go from stand up to improv because you're, you know, focused on the punchline in stand up. You're like, okay, it's the build up, it's the and getting to that punchline versus like you're like, oh shit, okay, we hit the punchline, but now we have to build the rest of the scene in improv. So yeah, I think yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, and and for me, having done improv first and doing and having done a little bit of theater in high school, like just getting the lights on my face, just getting in front of an audience, like like there seemed to be less pressure in improv than there is in stand up, right? So like for stand up, you're just it's just you and the audience. That's it. You have no one, you know, you have no one to blame. It's not a you know, and there's you'd be like, Oh, this this other partner partner was really dragging me down. Like it's just you and your jokes. So yeah. with imp- with improv, it's like you've got somebody that can actually help you out, support you and lift you up. Maybe if you're having an off night or you're just having an off, you know, uh, sketch. But uh, with improv, it's just you versus them. So, yeah, I, I definitely uh, subscribe to the notion that you should take improv classes if you're going to be a stand up, because it helps you just get used to the stage. It helps you start getting your creative juices flowing and start writing jokes. Yeah. What? Um. So you said you did theater in like high school. Like, what was your first role, or you know, being on a stage? Yeah, I never in a million years thought I would do a uh, drama. I, I, you know, I didn't. I went to an all boys Catholic high school. I went to St. Rita High School on the South Side, and you know, I, I didn't think that I would be interested in doing something like that. I thought I wanted to be a cool kid, and I just thought only dorks did did theater. But you know, it turned out that uh, there were girls involved, and I wanted to meet. <laughs> I wanted to meet girls, and they all came from the you know the all girls school, and they're like, yeah, come meet some girls. I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Uh, I wish there was a cooler, I wish there was like this, this love of theater that drove me, but it was just teenage hormones, basically. <laughs> no, that was, that was my reasoning too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I got involved in that. And then I went over to Mother Macaulay and I did, uh, some one act plays, uh, where I really got to be funny, um, and use my sense of humor. And that's like, just hearing that first laugh, you know, and I, and I was always a class clown. So I always loved making people laugh, but for me, like getting that first audience to laugh was really um, amazing. There's, there's no better feeling in the world. And and so I was hooked. I knew I was going to be involved in, in the arts somehow and and in whether it was improv or stand up. But um, the minute the same thing was like it, it, it like all the minute you do it, you're like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, and I don't I mean, I, I think the same thing applies toward music or you know, whatever you're going to do, uh, you know, every time I meet an engineer, I'm like, how do you guys do that? And I'm like, this is just what I love doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, if correct me if I'm wrong, but you were, you were in corporate sales for like 13 years. Mm-hmm. And then eventually at some point there was a day came along and you're just like, all right, like fuck this shit. I'm out. Like I'm going to, I'm doing yeah. stand up comedy. Can you kind of take us back to that day where you were like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this legitimately this career. Cause I'm sure it was, probably a little scary, but also like about time. Like I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. I know the exact moment. I know the exact moment uh, to this day. I was, uh, so I was the, I was a managing director at NASDAQ. So I had this like high profile finance job in the stock market. And my job was to consult with the CEOs and CFOs of publicly listed companies. And so I was actually in a conference room with the CFO of Buffalo Wild Wings And I was just like negotiating this deal and, and I, and I just couldn't stop thinking about 
doing an open mic in February in Minneapolis when it was two degrees out. And I just thought, I'm like, you know what, if you're thinking about it this much and, and at this point I was, I had been doing stand up for about 10 years, but just kind of on the weekends, you know, and I never really kind of took that big leap, but I decided then and there that I, I had to try this. And, 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 you know, and I tell everybody like, you can do anything for a year, you know, no one's going to slap you, you know, no one's going to tell you, no, you can't come back to the workforce you know, having taken a break for a year. And even if I came back to the workforce, it was going to be a really cool story. Right. So for me, it was just like, I'm going to do this for one year. And then, you know, the year flew by. And next thing you know, it's been, you know, eight years and I've never looked back. So for me, it was just this realization that like, I don't want to work in a cubicle. I don't want to you know, be in, and, and I was at the top of my game. Like I had this like really high profile. I was making tons of money. And I was miserable. I, you know, like I just didn't I I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And so the minute that I made that decision, um, there was like this this overwhelming sense of freedom to be able to do what I wanted to do. And it was awesome. It was an awesome feeling. That's super cool, too, because, yeah, being at that level, I'm sure you had people being like, what are you doing? Like, this is not this is not (laughs) a good idea, dude. Like, not at all. I traded in a Lexus SUV for a Honda Civic and like all the, all the car dealers like were kind of like hanging around the office. And finally one of them had the courage to go, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm following my dreams, boys. (laughs) (laughs) Going out to California. (laughs) That's hilarious. Did did you, all right. So, okay. After that day. Yeah. Well, how was, uh, how was the open mic at Indy? How'd it go? Uh, the open mic. Uh, oh, in, in Minneapolis. It Minneapolis. Was, oh, Minneapolis. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. That's why it was even like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And here's here's what's funny is that like, you know, you go to an open mic. Look, we get really cocky in Chicago, right? Like we've got a great comedy scene. Some of the best comedians in the world have come out of Chicago. And so you go to like Minneapolis, you're like, these guys are going to be worshiping me in about five minutes. And then you see like everybody crushing and just having great sets. And I'm like, oh, Oh, these guys are really good as well, you know, and so it humbled me very quickly to be like, oh, there's great comedians all over the country. And so uh, I definitely tried to bring my A game that night. But it was but it was also like it was also this feeling of like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, and I I just remember just being excited and not scared at all because. You know, it's like I explained to my parents. My parents are very blue collar. My father was a firefighter in Chicago for 35 years. Um, My mom was a homemaker. And, you know, obviously they were nervous because I was taking this quote unquote big chance. But, you know, I said, look, you know, when my dad retired from the fire department, he said, you know, I can't believe they paid me to do this. And and I knew that if I spent, you know, 30 or 40 years in corporate sales that I wasn't going to feel like that. I wasn't going to walk away going like that was awesome, you know. And for some people it is, but... (laughs) But for me, it wasn't going to be, you know, I just like, I'd, I'd rather be broke slinging jokes than, you know, rich and miserable. So, um, no, that's, uh, that's kind of insane. Cause I remember this moment in high school, my dad was like, if you do, if you do what you love every day, like you don't have to work for a living. Yeah. And so like ever since then, I've just been like, oh shit, like what, a, what is that? And how do I get there? And I, just like you, I was like, there's no way I can be in an office. There's no way I can probably dress in a suit and tie every day there's no way i can go to school for like a super long extended time because school is ass i'm sorry to anybody that enjoys it i mean i don't but yeah like it's just i'm guessing you 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 had that like gut feeling though that like i'm 
going to go a different route in life than like probably most people. Yeah. I mean, you know, for, to be honest with you, I thought that like my life was kind of like predetermined, right? Like I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a degree. I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to get a wife. I'm going to get a house. And I had all of those things, like all of it. And then I found this like little thing that started off as a hobby and I just became more and more in love with it. And so like for me, you know, I kind of describe it as a calling more than anything. Like this is what I need to be doing. You know, uh, my dog has decided she's going to drink all of the water in the house. In this morning. <laughs> what's, what's your dog's name? <laughs> Shrimp. Shrimp? <laughs> yeah. She's an 80 pound uh, boxer bulldog and she drinks water once a day and it's the whole bowl. <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, it was just like, you know, there's nothing more motivating than doing the thing that you love, you know? So for me, it was like, as soon as I, I quit, you know, this career, it was like, I got to work quickly. You know, I, I sold my house. I, you know, sold all of my possessions basically. And I packed up my car and I moved to Los Angeles and, you know, I dedicated seven nights a week to doing standup. You know, and I didn't stop until, you know, I, I made a career for myself. So that's that's super awesome. Who who uh, who in the comedy field right now like is someone that you kind of just look up to and admire from like where they started and like their to their career right now? Um, man, you know, I have such respect for anybody that can do this and make a living. You know, it's because it's so hard. It's so hard to yeah. like be able to do this thing that you love and, and make a living at it. You know, I, I love, I mean, obviously I love guys like, um, you know, Bill Burr and, you know, uh, you know, people like Burt Kreischer and, um, uh, Whitney Cummings. I mean, there's just so many, like there's so many great people out there that, you know, are, are, are killing it, you know? So, um, you know, for me, it's just like, you know, are you paying your bills? Do you have some gigs on the books? Like you're doing it. Congratulations. You know, and one of the things I was talking about to another comedian recently, actually last night was just like, I see so many comedians that are like, you know, I've got to be at this level. I need this many followers. I got to, you know, I got to be headlining. I got to be this, I got to be that. And then they're like, within five years, they're not doing stand up because they have such resentment and anger toward the craft. And for me, it was just like, man, like, you know, every day that I'm doing stand up is another day I'm not in a cubicle doing a job that I hate. So for me, I'm like grateful and I'm excited about the the ability to do the thing that I love to do day in and day out. But I mean, you know, you know, I know it's kind of a vague answer to your question, but, you know, you look at all, any of the guys that are killing it right now and you're just like and but they all had the same story. They just started writing down jokes. They started hitting open mics. And, you know, some people are doing better than others and, you know, some people move on. Damn, that's a good, because it's, it is true about, I mean, I don't know, like, I mean, I've been that person where like you say, like, I'm going to do this. I really want to do this. And then maybe you find out like, it's just not their thing. Or like, you do just get so frustrated with it. You, you forget why you initially came and or started doing it. So it's like, yeah, you got to reset your mind. It's just, it's just interesting thinking about that from a comedian's expect or perspective. There's a big difference between having goals, right? So I have goals and I want to achieve these goals, right? Right. but I don't, one of the things is I like, I love doing standup and I love performing and I don't want to get in a position where I hate it because I'm not getting these things that I want. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so a lot of comedians lose sight of like what's important, which is just like 
just getting on stage and doing the thing versus like, well, I want the Tonight Show and I want the, and those are all great things to aspire for. But, you know, it's like I have five friends that are on Saturday Night Live right now and I'm excited for each and every one of them. And would I love the opportunity to be on Saturday Night Live? Absolutely. But I'm also very happy with the career that I have. And I'm not going to be like resentful because my friends are doing well. And, you know, I have a different career path than they do. Uh, how often do you come back to the city of Chicago? Um, my whole family lives there and okay. I'm the only one that left. You know, I, I'm, you know, when you're from, when you're from the South side, it's like, you know, you, you you stay here on the South side, you get maybe a cottage in Wisconsin or Michigan and that's it, you know? So, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so I'm the big weirdo that left and uh, it's like, why would you leave? We got, you know, beef sandwiches here. Um, but, <laughs> but I come back pretty often. My mom and dad are, uh, they live right in Palos Heights. They live in the suburbs, you know, there they've been retired and, so I come back and visit, um, you know, Easter, Christmas, um, probably a couple times, a other couple times a year. I also do. A, I also did a lot of stand up in Chicago. So I still do, you know, Zanies, the Improv, Laugh Factory. And um, so when I decided to shoot my my special, it's like it only made sense to come back to Chicago. Kind of where it all started from. Yeah, that's um, that's awesome of you to do. And yeah. like that is that is cool to do in the hometown. Who uh, who's uh. Who's easier to make fun of, Californians or Chicagoans? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I I think Chicagoans are easier to make fun of only because that's like that's in my DNA, right? Okay. So like uh, born and raised, so like I can I can talk, you know, I I can use special Chicago references, you know, like French room and beef sandwich and you know portillos and. Giordano's, I, you know, I can, and I can bring the accent back, you know? So right. for me, and, and honestly, like Chicagoans have a much better uh, sense of humor than people in Los Angeles. <laughs> and because, and I'll tell you why, because these, these guys are so used to seeing famous people every day. <laughs> so, you know, so it's like, I might be on the same show with the Bill Burr and, you know, or a Louis CK and, and Theo Vaughn and all these guys that are like huge famous people. And, you know, in L.A., it's like, oh, they're they're just, uh, you know, used to seeing these guys perform every single day. So in, in Chicago, it's a little bit different. And, and I, these are just my people. You know, I, like I said, I was, I was born and raised there and I speak the language and know who you guys are. Do you uh, do you stand strong for deep pit or deep dish pizza out there in L.A.? No, nah, man, you know, and you guys know you're from Chicago. Like, it's not about deep. Right? We have our thin crust is just as good. Okay. Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> so, like, everyone has this idea that like Chicago is the most violent place in the world. Like, not really. Just like four square blocks are real bad. You don't want right. to go to, right? <laughs> and then you have this idea that like we're the deep dash dish capital of the world, and we've got great, great deep dish pizza. But like, I'll I'll take a you know thin crust Palermos or thin crust Giordano's any day. I'm not going to turn it down. Now, is it, you know, New York versus Chicago pizza? Chicago all day. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay. And even L.A. It's like the worst day of my life was I, I downloaded the Domino's pizza app. I wanted to die. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, are you really doing this? <laughs> well, they Fill out like a login form. Like, Son of a bitch. <laughs> You're like, oh, and now I have like they send me emails. There's, uh, and I just constantly reminded I have the app. I, I, I was talking to someone in Chicago the other day and they were like, I'm going to go home and get Domino's. And mm -hmm. I was like, we live in Chicago. Are you okay? Do we need like, to talk? Yeah. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Like, <laughs> she's like, but I'm going to be drunk. 
I'm like, there are so many better drunk pizza places <laughs> yes. in Chicago still than Domino's. Like in Domino's, you're gonna eat it and you're gonna wake up and you're still not, still not gonna be happy. So it was just 100. percent They opened a Gino's East out here finally. Oh, so, I love Gino's East. Yeah, and you know, and you know, we 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 order it every once in a while, but uh, but yeah, good pizza is definitely hard to come by in here in Los Angeles. That's for sure. Uh, uh what can if you don't mind, what what is that like statue behind you? So yeah, my wife, uh, my wife is an artist. And so what she does is she takes these uh, mannequins and she paints them. And then she puts like this weird, like midsummer headdress on them. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, I I was laughing because we were actually moving our, we're moving a studio in a month. And I literally threw out a mannequin today that we had and I could have just given it to your wife and she could have made freaking money off of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did a Zoom once and Alyssa Milano was on it from like Who's the Boss and all those, you know, and she's yeah. like, what, what is that? <laughs> like, it's the thing that frightens me when I get up to use the bathroom every night. So, yeah. How, how long has it been there? Oh, it's been there two years. I mean, it's well, I, just, yeah, about a year and a half. Yeah. Never, you never get used to it. You're just like, oh, shit, there's this fucking person there. No, man, you guys have no idea. I could give you a tour, but like directly in my line of vision from our bedroom into the second bedroom we have got a glass case uh that our uh, that our chameleon lives in and it's it's a basically it's a standing glass case that has a skeleton inside of it and then plants coming out of the skeleton uh yeah i married a goth i married a goth (laughs) and i i tease her that she's retired goth but she still has like you know these goth attributes so people come into our house and they're just like, this is the scariest place in the world. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> how, uh, how often do you have to get, uh, I get like, do you tell your wife? Cause I'm sure it happens all the time. Like, I'm sure you write jokes either about the relationship or like maybe something she does or something you do that drives her nuts. How often do you like have to get consent and be like, honey, is this okay? I do on stage or do you even, or do you just go for it? I think I think if it's something super personal between us, um, okay. I'll run it by her. Right. So, like, I, I don't ever want to be in a position where she hears a joke and she's either embarrassed or right. uncomfortable with the material um, because I want to stay married. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. yeah. <laughs> so but but I would say 90 to 95 percent of the material that I do about us, she's completely comfortable with. Um, OK. You know, because it's things that are true, you know, that have happened in our relationship and our marriage. So mostly I just talk about how hot she is. So <laughs> like how how I she's going to just wake up one day and be like, what? No, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to want to keep that going, because otherwise it's another app you have to download. I know. You can't just well, do that shit in person anymore. I had those apps, too. And you know what? Everyone lies. They're all liars. Every and every girl thinks that they have like this cool profile. I'm like, you're all the same. <laughs> I, I saw one that said it said, uh, I'm just looking for a guy with a great sense of humor. And I'm like, I'm literally one of the funniest people in the world. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm a professional comedian. I got seven billion people on the planet. There's only like three or four hundred really that can do what we do. I'm like, I'm like, you're not you're not, you're not looking for a guy with a great sense of humor. All right, you're looking for a guy with abs. I don't have it. I have one ab. <laughs> I have a single ab thanks to deep dish pizza. <laughs> uh 
Um, how do how do you respond to people? Because I'm sure you meet people once. What do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a comedian. They say, oh, great. Tell me a joke. Like, do you either want to punch them in the face or throw them in front of traffic? Yeah, that's that's a rough one, man. You know, for the, the majority of people are really interested and fascinated when you tell them that you're a professional comedian. So I'd say the majority of people are like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Like and then the, the follow up is like, well, do you make money doing that? It's like, nah, I, mean, I live in my car um, <laughs> No, And then and then some people will be like, oh, it's, you know, tell me a joke. The thing that really gets under my skin is like that when they're like, careful what you say around this guy, he's going to put it in his act. Oh. Right? <laughs> and then I remember I had like, when I still had my day job, my coworkers found out, you know, and I tried to keep it from them as long as possible. And then they found out and they're like, so do you talk about us in your act? And I'm like, no, you're boring. I hate it here. I never <laughs> talk about this dumb office. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. It's like, I fucking hate you. And I hate everybody here. Like you're yeah. the last thing I want to think about. Never ever going to talk about you. You're not special. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's like a, uh, maybe just like a certain area in life in general that you've found yourself picking like a good amount of jokes from. Oh man. Sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, it makes total sense. I, mm. you know, I would say that most of my jokes are biographical, right? So okay. like I come from three generations of firefighters you know, and I'm the only one in my family that isn't a firefighter. Right. So like, that's just low hanging fruit. Um, right. I've been divorced. I've dated, you know, I've dated as a divorced man. I've gotten remarried. In fact, when my wife and I got married 18 months ago, I leaned over to her. and I was just like, I just lost half of my act. And so, <laughs> but, you know, like, you know, this is costing me a fortune, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, I pull from like my own life and I know that kind of sounds cliche, but it's true. You know, I, I don't really get political. It's not that I don't have my own stances on things, but I'm just not smart enough to make an argument, to be honest with you, you know, but I, and I and I just talk about what I know. I've been sober for four and a half years. I don't drink or do drugs anymore. I talk a lot about you. that. Yeah. And so for like, especially coming from Chicago, it's just like, how did this miracle happen? Um, well, it's like babies come out of the womb here and they do a shot of Malort. It's like, all right, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, and they now just, they give them a blunt. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that's that's the that's the funny thing, man. Like California it was like the the birthplace of the weed movement, and so people are out of there. They're just sitting at red lights forever, not moving. <laughs> just yeah, just nobody goes out anymore. They just watch Netflix, just high. <laughs> it's the same Adam Sandler movie, just on repeat. Just on repeat. Are you still watching Netflix? Yeah, we're still watching, man. Yeah. Seven <laughs> so Eleven. There's like there's like ten people in line at Seven Eleven just getting munchies. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Um, what do you got? I what what is it like going from Chicago and doing? you know, the open mic scene here versus going out there? Or did you have like a solid gig lined up that you were like, all right, I'm going to start doing regular stuff out in LA? No, man, I, 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 I moved out here. I didn't know anybody. I knew one person and, um, and that was it. And I literally started over. And when I left Chicago, I was kind of headlining, you know, clubs and, and, um, and it, and the very first show I did in Los Angeles, the very first show I had to follow Damon Wayans. And, you know, it was like a Tuesday night and he crushed, of course, because he's so funny. And then the host of the show had been on like the Tonight Show twice. And I remember calling my mom 
like the next day and she's like do you feel like a of you know big fish in a small pond or what you know how that expression yeah. goes you feel like a, a small i go my i am plankton in the ocean right now like i i have i am way in over my head but you know the the, the thing I told myself as I was driving out to Los Angeles, was just like, look, nobody knows who you are. Like, you know, it's like, you ain't shit. You don't know shit, you know, that kind of thing. And so I, I just told myself to not have a chip on my shoulder, you know? And so I literally started at open mics here, you know, and you slowly kind of work your way up. You go from open mics to bar shows. And then from bar shows, you get a couple of like, you know, club shows you know, and then all of a sudden you get kind of passed at some of the clubs and people get to know you, but it, it can take a long time. There's, there's no, you know, get off the, get off the train and all of a sudden you become a star. Those, those, those stories are very few and far between, you know, and for me, my path was like literally working hard every single day, starting at open mics, you know, ending up at the comedy store, you know, just hanging out and getting to know people. And it took a long time. And, and I see a lot of people that move out here, and, you know, they don't they don't last because, you know, they were the big fish where they came from and they just expect all these doors to open for them. And it's just not the reality. The reality is there's a lot of competition. There's very limited stage time, you know, and you just have to come out here and crush. And but but that's the challenge that I really liked. I got one of the reasons I moved out here is because I wanted to see if I could follow the best, you know, and, and, and hold my own. And um, turns out I can't. All right. Not, not <laughs> <laughs> turns out I'm not great. No, I'm You're like, we're actually booking flights right now. No. <laughs> Can I be a host on your podcast, please? I'm moving yeah, back. yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> I was taken back to the city of Chicago. Right? Yeah, I would love to be the podcast that brought him back. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw that in. Uh, I mean, I know the videos were uploaded in 2020, but they were, I don't know when they were filmed, but when you did Laugh Factory in Chicago mm -hmm. and it was, uh, you did a lot of jokes about like staying with your parents mm -hmm. while you were back in Chicago. And I thought like that stuff was hilarious because I, a lot, during, that's what you do. Cause that's what I did a lot of the time <laughs> during the pandemic, yeah. mm -hmm. like during lockdown. Cause I was like, I'm not just going to sit alone in my apartment. So I like was like, all right, I'll go bother them some more. You know, I had just moved out and I was like, I'm back. And <laughs> you know, like and then I was like watching your stuff and I was like, dude, this is so relatable and hilarious, especially to my situation. But like what how much of it was like just like you were like, this is verbatim what's happening. I'm just taking notes as it's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all 100 percent true. I mean, you know, some stuff gets a little, um, you know, you embellish a little bit on some things, yeah. but you know, for the most part, you know, my parents are kind of like like uh, the parents from Seinfeld. Like when I talk to them, like they put me on speaker and they both have their ears up. Or if I FaceTime them, they're still trying to hear. So I just see the ear hair, you know, as I'm like, point it point like this. And I'm like, what? You know, um, but I like I adore my parents. They've been married for 57 years. You wow. Know, good raised, yeah, they raised four of us. They're like, I'm the youngest. So they still treat me like I'm a nine year old. And, um, you know, and I, and I stay with them. Like my dad will like wake me up in the morning still, you know, <laughs> and he's like, Hey, you, you sleeping in? What are you doing? I, go, I work nights, bro. Like I work at night, you know, it's like, 430 to, dad. <laughs> yeah. I went to bed at like, you know, or, or yeah, that's the other thing. Like I'll ask him for a ride to the airport. I'm like, all right, my flight leaves at eight. You know, when I get there around seven, seven fifteen, like five thirty, he's like, "Let's go, let's get out the door." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't. 
we're good, man. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's kind of weird, you know, when you just like, you go from like being a kid that lives there and depends on your parents to being a guest in their house, but you never quite make it to that guest, you know, title, you know? <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. I like my parents now. They like, we don't even deserve a mattress anymore. It's just an air mattress. I'm just like, oh, like, oh boy, funny. am I even part of the family? <laughs> like, what is this? Your old bedroom just has an ironing board in it now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, like, That's the my ironing room. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think, I think, I mean, is it safe to say that like all of our parents are crazy, like to our own, you know? Oh, like, yeah. Because mine are crazy. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like at some point you just look at the people that made you and you're like, wow oh like i understand you're crazy because you yeah. raised me yeah and i know i'm were, fucking were you a devil child i was a devil child i was not no i mean i, no? I was like no i i was like um i was pretty uh, i don't know I, I was a class clown but my parents also like got it like i, I was okay. a class clown. i wasn't like i wasn't the type of class clown where i was being disrespectful i was just trying to get laughs you know and so anytime my teachers called home or the principal called home it wasn't really like, you know, they weren't really like coming down on me or grounding me or whatever, because they knew that, like, that's just how I was. And they, and they really embraced my personality. Um, you know, now for them, it was a little bit scary, you know, given their kind of blue collar roots for me to not have like a uh, pension and a plan, you know, and, and own a home and all and all that stuff. So for them, this is all new. But yeah, I would say the first time I got to perform in Las Vegas on the Strip. And they saw my name and lights on the marquee and they were like, oh, oh, this is real. Like, this is yeah. a, like they stopped calling it my little sketch, you know, and and, oh, like, <laughs> and then it became like my son, the comedian, you know, and, and it was great. Oh. And, now, and now they're cool. They come to a lot of shows. You know, I, I, I always point them out when they're in the audience and have fun with them. And, you know, it's cool, like, like that they get to, to kind of enjoy this career that I picked as well, you know, and, and they're really supportive. That is, that's, um, that's super cool. What I like, I know you said that he didn't get really into trouble, but you were a class clown. What were like some yeah. of the, I'm guessing you had to have been punished a couple of times. Sure. And, like yeah. what were the, what were those punishments? Yeah. Mostly it was kick me out. They kicked me out of okay. the room. Like I, I could tell you like, like there were like 413 bricks in the hallway of my like grammar school. Right. So like I just would sit outside and just count bricks you know, until they let me back in. And sometimes they didn't let me back in until the bell rang, um, you know? And so, and here's the thing, here's what's funny about that is like some teachers like really hated the distraction and other teachers were like cool with it. They would laugh, they would let me get it out and then they would just move on with their lesson plan. And those are the teachers that I love to this yeah. day because yeah. I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't trying to be a jerk and I wasn't trying to be disrupted. I was just trying to like, I was just really being myself and just trying to get a laugh. And so for me, like those teachers that kind of like got me and understood, you know, and I've gone back, you know, to those teachers and I'm, and they're like, I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. Like you were so funny when you were a kid and, and we're, you know, we're happy that you are the way you are. And all the teachers yeah. that didn't like me, they all died horrible deaths. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Go to their grave and spit on it. Yeah. Tired, resentful, angry, bitter people. Believe in me now, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I I love that because I feel like I don't there were only like probably a handful that would ever be like, oh, that's like what you like want to do is like make people laugh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like they like a lot of them were like disrespectful, get out of the room, or 
like one time we took this stupid picture. It doesn't even matter. But like we're like on a desk and we were like in like a grind line, like what you would like, you know, see at like a prom or some shit. And it was literally the fact I was Cupid in the musical. So which that part got cut that little bit because it was an added <laughs> bit and I had to wear a diaper and I was like shirtless. And like, I'm in this picture, it was like Captain Underpants, but okay. Right. Okay. And then, um, but like angel wings. And <laughs> <Okay>. so, <laughs> so it's like just layers on layers of funny. And then there I'm on the desk, but I'm in the back and it looks like I'm in tidy whities from the angle of the picture. So it just looks worse. It looks like breaking bad, but <laughs> not breaking bad. And then it's also a musical, but we posted it as a promo for the musical. Like come see the show. Yeah. We're all in it. And like one of us now is a doctor, yeah. one of us is in broadcasting, and one of us is sitting here on a podcast with you. <laughs> and I remember they went in and they were like, you know, this could ruin so many job opportunities. They took us individually into the office, like, oh, yeah. Friday schools or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, you know, this could ruin so many. Like, what do you want to do? The one girl was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And they're like, see, this could ruin a lot of jobs. And like the other guy was like, I want like a broadcasting job on TV. This could ruin a lot of jobs. And they're like, what do you want to do? I was like, I don't know, like comedian. Something like that. And they were like, and this might be fine. <laughs> like, like this will probably not hurt that bad. So I, I like, dedicate. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. That was just the first time that I was like, oh, shit. Like, maybe now, like, now that picture is his LinkedIn profile picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This was yesterday, by the way. He dressed like this for Valentine's Day. <laughs> right. right. But I, I remember the first time I performed at the MGM Grand Las Vegas, like I literally dedicated it to the, the teacher that was like a bully to me, you know, because she used to say. She used to say, where do you think these jokes are going to get you? And I was like, the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, bitch. Like, that's where it got me. You know, like, and it was such like this feeling of redemption, you know? And, and I mean, she, she terrorized me. She used to belittle me and call me names. And, and I was just like, this is like everything that, that I experienced, like led up to this moment. And I get to perform here at the MGM Grand. It's such a, like, it's a win. I won, you know, it's such a cool feeling. That's that is cool. That is cool. Such like a drop the mic, like yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And then they're like, "That's very expensive. Please pick that back up." Yeah, right. I know you can't actually drop a mic unless you're like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like, don't come back here, please. Yeah, they're like, all right, he's done. He's never performing at MGM Grand again. Get him out. out. It's the fourth mic this week. Like, Uh, oh, like speaking of Vegas, I'm actually. what month are we in February? Yeah, you're going in April. Uh, St. Patrick's Day. I'm flying out uh, to Vegas for my brother's bachelor party. Nice. I am in charge of it. I am the best man, thank God, because if it was anybody else, I'd be a little offended. Um, yeah. Any advice? Never been to Vegas. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where are you guys staying? Do you know? I do know, but not off the top of my head. Okay. Um, yeah. It's so one I of the popular tell you, ones. So, look, man, I... I like keep it simple, right? Like I would say, um, uh, like I took all of my friends from Chicago to nine fine Irishmen in New York, New York, and they always have Irish bands. So if like, if you're into that, like, and it's just like one of the stops, they also have like dueling pianos. So look, some guys want to go to strip clubs, like plan that yeah. out. There's a lot of, there's a lot of great like strip clubs that are out there. Um, you know, I feel like, guys are different now and some guys aren't into that, you know? And right. so, 
Some people love going clubbing. Um, you know, there's Hakkasan. There's tons of yeah. great clubs. There's tons of, there's a tons of great uh, pool parties. But like, I think the most important thing when planning a bachelor party is understanding like the vibe of the group as a, as a whole, right? So like, like you want to make sure that your brother has a great time. But like, what what would his ideal bachelor party? Because I've been to a lot of bachelor parties where it's like the best man. Like this is the thing that he wants to do, right? Oh and, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. like. So like do the thing that you think your brother's going to have the best time, like top golf at, in, as is connect to MGM, like go to a day at top golf, you know, um, you know, hit, you know, but again, I don't know. I don't know you guys obviously, but like, like if you like write down some two or three things that you think your brother's going to love, you know, if you get up going to the club and he's not a club guy, like he's going to have the worst time ever. Yeah. But we, if he, we, we, um, we do. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. We uh, we do have something. He's he's a big gambler, so it's like obviously he's going to the right okay. place. Um, but yeah, it's it's like the first weekend of the NCA March Madness. So oh, awesome! It's probably going to get a little crazy, but yeah, uh, yeah I mean, you know, it'll work itself out. It's Vegas. Yeah. What could go wrong? Top Golf is great. Uh, they've got a lot of great TVs. They got outdoor televisions, and you can hit a bunch of golf balls and get drunk. So that's like you can't go wrong with that. And then um, any any sports book. Um, they have like recliners and, you know, uh, you can watch a lot of like the games that are right. Like, you'll have like all of the games going on, yeah. uh, at the same time. So you, I mean, you're not going to do wrong for March Madness in, in Vegas. Hopefully I come back with some money. Probably not. We'll see. No, there's speaking no reason of... I built all those buildings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of getting drunk, um, yeah. you said that you've been sober for 10 years or and a half. Or four and a half. Four and a half. <laughs> well, you mo- okay, you moved. Close. You moved. You moved out there ten years ago, right? That was what. Yeah. It was. Okay, I remember yeah. you said ten at some point during this interview. Yeah. Um, okay, so you so you got sober. Were you ever at one point like when you were like, all right, I'm going to do this? Like, did you ever think of like you were like, oh, like alcohol is a crutch, or you know, weed or whatever your jam was was a crutch? Because I know that there's like a lot of you know comedians that I've come in cross paths with that are like you know like i don't know if i'm gonna be funny afterwards they only or only perform it with it oh yeah yeah that was a big fear of mine now i wasn't a big drinker before the show like so i had like a lot of rules like the rule was i couldn't start drinking until the show started right and so (laughs) you know i never drank before the show um but as soon as the show started i can you know or i might have like one beer just to kind of take the edge off and that was the big difference for me is like oh i don't have my edge beer you know to calm the nerves but that's just a myth you know once once you've been sober for a while, like I actually found that my standup got way better because I am so much more present in in the moment, you know, and I can speak more clearly and I can I can take an audience where I want it to go. Whereas if your senses are dulled a little bit, um, you don't have that that presence or that wherewithal to understand like what's going on. So for me, if like I'm in the middle of an act and like, maybe that like, like maybe a joke isn't hitting as, as much as I wanted to, or maybe they're just like, you know, a little bit tight that time. Now I can kind of pivot a little bit and maybe jump into crowd work or I can like, you know, um, switch off and switch to family material. Cause I noticed that maybe they're a little bit of an older crowd, you know? So I have that, that like that mind going like a little bit more crisp, then if I even had like a couple of beers before a show where I'm just like, you know what, fuck this audience, they suck, whatever, <laughs> you know, you know, just phone it in. So um, it's actually, I, and, but that's a very good question. And it's a very fair point because I was really worried about 
just like not having that crutch to like kind of calm my nerves, but it ended up just being a myth. And I feel like I'm a better comic since I quit. And my, and my career is definitely, and I'm just speaking for me. I like, I don't, you know, whatever, but like for me, like quitting drinking, like got me so much more time back. Right. I'm not on the couch every Sunday nursing a hangover and you get into your forties. It's like a two day hangover, not just a one day hangover, <laughs> you know, like there's a residual effect. And so for me, that's all time I can spend, like either getting more shows, you know, or doing writing more jokes or whatever. And now now I, I've seen a lot of comedians. I've lost a lot of friends that are comics that, you know, basically they're still trying to chase the high that they got on stage, you know, and that's a very real thing. You you feel like a, a million bucks when you get off stage, if it goes well. Right. If it goes well, you feel like it's the greatest feeling in the world. It's better than sex. It's better than everything. And you want to keep that feeling going. And so you'll get, you know, you'll get drunk, you'll get high and you don't want to come down off of that. And and unfortunately, there's certain people like myself, it's just like you don't know how to handle it, you know, and, you, you know, you wake up in, you know, Tijuana and, you know, your kidney's gone. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I got one good one. So we're good. <laughs> um, God, um, and your kidney's gone. Um, speaking of people who have kidneys, uh, how did you run into Mikey L? <laughs> Mikey L. Oh, what a great story. Yeah. Uh, so, um, my, uh, brother before he became a paramedic was a 911 dispatcher, which was, uh, one of Mikey O's old jobs. So Mikey O and my brother were both, uh, 911 dispatchers and, um, at the time, and he said, you should meet my brother. He's a comedian. And he goes, okay, whatever. Have him, have him come by Joe's on Weed Street, you know. And you go into Joe's on Weed Street, and Mikey O like fills it, man. There's there's three four hundred people there, and you know if you're, and I was still pretty new in comedy, and so uh, you know it was very intimidating. But I had a good set, and Mikey just said, hey, I keep keep giving me uh, avails, which is you know the term for available dates, and. You know, and we 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 grew in a huge like a friendship from there. And Mike's been one of my biggest supporters. He produced my first comedy album. And um, I mean, he's just a great dude and a great producer. So when I decided I was going to do another special, he was the first person I called and was just like, yep, let's do it. Let's get it going. And um, he's been so such a great uh, resource and a great friend to, to do this project with. Um, so speaking of Mikey O and, um, thin crust pizza of Chicago, he actually, we had him on the podcast and he actually said verbatim that Joe's on Wheat street is his favorite, uh, pizza. I don't even well, think he yeah, specified mo- most to, underrated in yeah. Chicago. He said, okay, that's true. That's true. Um, probably cause he doesn't pay for it. I mean, he's a little cheap, so <laughs> that's, I mean, you're, yeah, you're probably not wrong. Yeah. He gets free pizza. So, I mean, who's not going to love free pizza? That's right. Uh, um, but let's let's talk about Joe's on Weed Street, March sixth. March sixth, yeah. you're filming your live special. Um, we're going to be there. We are super excited about oh, it. Um, yeah, kind of take us back to that decision of coming back to the city. I know we honed on it a little bit, but yeah, coming yeah. back to Joe's on Weed Street and what what you're uh, looking forward to. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it's it's the journey, man. So like eight years ago, um, I I I I left the corporate world. I, like I said, I sold everything I owned. I, I packed a couple suitcases. I moved to Los Angeles and I 
dug a career out for myself. And I, I've been all over the world. I've been to Iraq. I've been to Kuwait. I've been, I'm going to uh, Dubai in August, which wow. is the worst month ever to go to Dubai. Um, but I, you know, and I, I've been able to travel and, and, and do this thing. And, and, and I'm just this kid that came from a South side blue collar family. And I, I went, I went for it. And, and so for me, it only makes sense to come back to Chicago and really Joe's on Wheat Street, where I really got my my first start in comedy. And I have a special place in my heart for Joe's on Weed, man. They they like some of the best shows I've ever done have been there. And, you know, just the relationships, whether it's with the bartenders or, you know, with with Ed, the owner. And I mean, that's just that like Joe's on Weed for me encompasses what Chicago really is. You know what I'm saying? Like. One day it's it's a country bar and the next day they got, you know, uh, two white crew, you know, what I mean? so it's just, yeah. it's just like that's Chicago. You know what I'm saying? And then the, the next night they got salsa and the next night they got, you know, uh, uh, what's that guy? G jumping Julian jumping Perez. Right. So, <laughs> you know, that's what Chicago is. I remember that the, the Blackhawks came and brought the Stanley Cup there with the first time they won it. And. That's actually a terrible story because I was supposed to do a Mikey O show and my first wife, uh, I've been divorced once and she planned a trip to San Diego. And so I actually had to cancel the show. And so I'm in San Diego and I'm looking on Facebook and my buddy Alex Ortiz is holding the cup above his head on Joe's on Wheat Street. And he's the comedian that filled in for me that night. <laughs> so I, I would have been me. I would have been there with Patrick Kane and all the old crew, Duncan Keith holding the cup over my head. And then, so I divorced her. I left her right away. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank God for that. Now we just need the, the Blackhawks to win again. And, you know, back to Joe's. yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, you can get tickets at MikeyOshow.com. Um, you can also get them at Ken's Instagram, which I think is at Ken Gar was taken. Uh, the link, the link in his bio, uh, Ken, you're the man. We're looking forward to March 6th and thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I look forward to meeting you guys in person. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm definitely ready to see a comedy show live in Chicago. I haven't right? seen one since pre-pandemic. Right. So this will be you'll be my first. Um, I'm, it's gonna be a great show. There's a lot of great comics that are opening it. Let's hope so. I've be awesome. been sitting at home for a year waiting for a really good one. <laughs> Bring your parents, bring them with. <laughs> Absolutely. 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 All right, thank All right, you, guys. Ken. Thanks, talk to you soon. I'm not afraid to